Well, again, welcome to Redemption Parker. My name is Mark. I'm one of the elders here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, uh, welcome. We're glad you're here to worship God with us this morning. If you're just visiting, again, thanks for coming out. We're, we're a community that exists to glorify God for the joy of all people. And so uh, if you are joining us, we're in a little bit of a different series. Normally we would go through a book of the Bible and go uh, chapter by chapter, paragraph by paragraph, but we're pausing and we're looking at this thing that, that, that's called the church. Um, so a few years ago, I got one of those... Uh, pastor perks. So pastors, they don't get paid very much money, but every now and again, they get, a, they get some perks. Like, uh, I'm just dropping some hints right now. They get tickets to, uh, to games sometimes. Some, I've known pastors that got tickets to sporting events, uh, uh, you know, a condo if you have one of those. Uh, I, I've done that as well. Uh, but this particular one was I got invited. Uh, there, there was a Christian that uh, owns, uh, well, he sells helicopters, out of Centennial Airport, and, and he had a vision to uh, gather weekly uh, uh, different pastors across the city to come and, and to take a helicopter ride uh, over the city and to pray for the city. And so uh, I, my friend called me, up, hey, uh, you, you want to go over the city and pray over the city? I'm like, yeah, I've never been in a helicopter. I'd love that. So I uh, went down to Centennial, got in, put on the headphones. It's, I mean, he's, he's selling new helicopters, so it's a nice helicopter. Um, and ever since I was a little kid, when I watched Airwolf, I loved helicopters. So anyone? No one? Okay, we got some Airwolf back here. Good. That was awesome. But, so I'm like, yes, I'm going to be in a helicopter. So we fly, we go over Cherry Creek Reservoir, and we he- start to head downtown, and, and you're, you're just kind of Taking that in and banking and all that stuff. And uh, a- a- after a few moments with the headphones on, you can hear each other talking. And so we said, okay, let's, let's begin to pray for the city. And as we flew over downtown and over the Capitol, over, uh, over Coors Field and uh, Mile High Stadium, whatever they call it now, and, and all these things, we also flew over just buildings and churches. And we, we get, began to pray for the city. Now, uh, that, that was a powerful time. It was a powerful time, not just because uh, uh, the, the, it, was a, it was an awesome time in the helicopter, but th- there were three things that just struck me in that moment that have stuck with me. The, the first one is, as we flew over a city of five million people, uh, just realizing the spiritual and the social needs of the city are immense, just immense. And as we flew over hundreds of churches, just realizing, man, it's going to take the whole church to reach the whole city. No one church is going to do this thing. No one church is going to put Jesus on display totally and completely in our city. So, so no matter what your church's vision statement is, we're going to conquer Denver for, for Christ. That's not going to happen uh, by yourselves. It's going to take the whole church reaching the whole city. And then the third revelation is as we came back to Centennial and as we landed and we put our boots on the ground, just a realization that uh, for that to happen, for, for Jesus to be lifted up, for the joy of all people across our city, that every church has to play their role well. And, and, and it gets real specific, like uh, real uh, tangible. And every church is going to have a different flavor and, and different way, but, but uh, the, the church is God's plan A, and there is no plan B for making much of Jesus across Denver. 
And so as, as we've been in this series, we've been talking about the church. And, and so far, we've been talking kind of from the helicopter uh, point of view. We, we, we asked in week one, well, what is the church? Well, even before that, I said right away, I have a goal for this series. It, it is this, that all of us would, would increase in our knowledge of, love for, and commitment to the local church. That, that our affections would rise when we think about the church. Uh, so often we, we think about the church or, or talk about the church in such a way that would dishonor it in, in, in a way that Jesus calls it his bride. And so we want to be very, very careful in how we talk about uh, the local church and other churches because uh, even as messed up as they may be, Christ shed his blood for them and died for them and is at work in them and through them, and we need them and they need us to reach the whole city, to reach the whole globe. And so that was the goal. But I said, obviously, there's some cultural barriers for us uh, coming to this. Just one, just the, the individualism that we bring to this. Uh, and we say it often here, and it bears repeating, that Christianity was, uh, was designed to be intensely personal, never private. Never private. Intensely personal, but never, never private. So we come against that, and the church comes against that. Then there, there's other things. that just that the church has kind of melded with the culture in a very consumeristic culture. We said, what, what is it going to take to get people to sit in rows? And by the way, it doesn't take that much. It's not a win for us at Redemption Parker to, to move into bigger and bigger rooms. That's not, a, that's not a goal of ours. We don't feel like we're accomplishing anything because we uh, move into bigger, bigger rooms and we get more and more rows. Anyone could do that. It doesn't take much in our culture to gather a crowd, right? Witness the 2017 Denver Broncos. I mean, they were sold out eight weeks for that ineptitude. So, so it's not like, wow, we got a crowd. That's awesome. That's not our goal. That, that's never been our goal. We, we, we don't care about that. We, we do care that image bearers would come and worship God. We do care that we would be able to plug people in and help them see that God has a calling on their life and help them see what it means to live life together. That's a win for us. But, but growing big is not a win for us. Anyone can grow big. All you have to do is have the comfortable seats, a good kids program, a good worship ministry, and you'll gather a crowd. But that's not our goal. And we said, finally, there's a resistance to this idea of having our affections raised for the church because so many of you in this room have been wounded by the church, by people that have claimed Christ and acted in very unchristlike ways, by leaders that have been abusive, by, by other church members that have uh, been false members. And so the fact that you're even here is kind of a miracle, uh, and you're just kind of tolerating us. Uh, but nonetheless, I believe God has something for us in that. And so in week one, we just asked the question, what is the church? And we said the church is a people, not a place we don't go on a, a pilgrimage. We don't have a Mecca that, that the power of God is present in the, the spirit of the people in this room as much as any other place on planet Earth right now. And so it's a people, not a place. And then the next week we saw that it's a particular kind of people. It's a covenant people. God is a covenant-making God. And we saw that he is a covenant-keeping God. Even when we didn't keep covenant with him, he pays the penalty for us breaking covenant by sending Jesus to die for us in our place 
to keep the covenant. And then praise God for the gospel that God is a covenant empowering God. He sends his spirit into us so that we can keep covenant with him and with one another. And we looked at the 59 one another's in the New Testament, and just very specific language of how we are to relate to each other, engage with one another, love one another 59 times. And now we, 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 we're trying to get boots on the ground. We're trying to get very specific now. Uh, in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what does it look like? How, how do we feel as we've, we've thought about, we've prayed, we've, we've asked God, what does it look like in 2018 for Redemption Parker to make much of Jesus in this time and in this culture? And what structures will we have in place? And, and churches are going to differ on some of these things. Today, we'll talk about church membership. And, and there's other churches that are faithful, christ honoring churches that say we don't have membership and and that's what their leadership that's what they have to decide but we're going to talk about why we think that's important for us and next week we're going to talk about church structures in terms of leadership and elders and the reason we do that next week is because uh, those of us that are elders those of us that are el- uh, members are, are first and foremost uh, uh, members first and foremost we are called to submit to one another out of reverence for christ and so we'll look at that today so I, I want to, uh, as we stir our affections for Jesus, I want to say that, that God has a purpose for us, that God w- would intend every Christian to be a committed covenant member within a context of a local body of believers. And, and I want to show that uh, we, we said it in week one, that the church is built uh, on the authority of the word of God and Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. And so if we're going to say that membership is a biblical idea, then I, then I need to show you from the Bible that I think it's a biblical idea. Now, now I'll say it right away. Uh, there's no verse in the New Testament that says you should join a church. You should sign a covenant membership. You should do all that. It's not in the Bible. In the same way, similarly, that, that the word Trinity is not in the Bible because it is saturated through the New Testament. Last week, Matthew talked about uh, that there are places in the world where uh, it costs you something to be a Christian. Well, in the first century, uh, ancient Near East, uh, it cost you to be a Christian. Like, if you were to be a follower of Christ, that meant possible death. That meant all cut off from all social standing, all uh, other things. And so you desperately needed a people to cling to and bond with just for your survival. And so church membership, like if you were to ask Paul or Peter, like, should we have church membership? Like, that's a ridiculous question. If you're a follower of Christ, you are automatically a member connected to a local church. To be anything else, to be someone who bounces from church to church to church is a foreign concept in the New Testament Christianity. Because they understood they desperately needed each other. They understood that they were members of one body. They understood that they were the bride of Christ. And so they were called repeatedly in the New Testament to commit to one another. So they gathered together. And we have letters. Most of the New Testament epistles are to churches, to the church that meets in Rome, to the church in Ephesus, to the church in Galatia, and so on and so forth, to the Revelation, to the seven churches. We have four letters in the New Testament that are called the pastoral epistles that are written to leaders of the churches, very specifically of how you are to structure, guide, and lead God's bride. And so that's my first argument, just an argument of it was assumed. It's everywhere. It would be a foreign concept to be a Christian and be a lone ranger in the New Testament times. 
Not so much in America, but, but in New Testament Christianity it would. But it's also from the structures of the church. So I want to point us to the first passage of the day. You're not going to like it. I don't love the verse. Um, but it, it, tells, it speaks of something about this covenant relationship on a very local level uh, of being committed to each other. It's Hebrews chapter 13. It's at the end of the book of, to, the, to the Hebrews. And the author says this, verse 17. I think I have it on the screen. Yes. It says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Okay? Like, like I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't love that. There, there's just something in our cultural DNA that's like, man, I, I, don't, I don't love any institution. I don't, I don't want to obey anything. I don't want to submit to anything. But let me just say this off the top. Whenever God uh, institutes or whenever God uh, creates or installs an institution, whether it be government, Romans chapter 13 tells us, whether it be a marriage, uh, he puts uh, boundaries and guidelines not for, uh, to rob us of joy, but to protect us and, and to, to uh, provide an atmosphere for our joy. So just like marriage, just like government, church has institution. It has, it has leaders, that, that as members, we're, we're called to obey and submit. Now, again, we don't love that, but, but that should ask a question. That, that should call, beg a question in our minds. Obey and submit to who? Like to the church universal, those that say, we don't need to be members of a local church, then I would say, well, how do you apply that to your, to your life? Who do you obey? I, I mean, the easiest example is, are we to obey the elders of uh, that, that church full of clowns in Westboro, Kansas? Are, are we picketing the soldiers' funerals? They're leaders, right? Or this week when your doorbell rings and, and someone shows up and it's a 17-year-old kid from Provo, Utah, and it says Elder Johnson? It even has a title on it, Elder. Are, are we submit to him? No. I mean, let's even bring it a little bit closer. What if uh, the elders of, uh, of Crossroads heard about Redemption Parker and they just said, uh, hey, we heard last week that uh, Aaron played an electric guitar up front and you shouldn't have electric guitars in church, so you need to stop that. And we're elders, so you need to obey us. Like, no, I don't think that's what this means. I think it means a very specific group of Christians that have come together in a very specific time and place with very specific structures. Repeatedly, Paul is instructing the church in the book of Acts and through his letters to, to establish the church, to establish elders, to establish a local church. So there's, a, there's an argument from structure. But as much as you might not like that first part of that verse, it gets worse for me. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Now, you want to talk about what keeps us up at night? You want to talk about what terrifies us? That I got to stand before God for that which is immensely precious to him in his sight, his bride, and give an account for how it was shepherded, how it was cared for, how it was prayed for, how the doctrine was proclaimed in that place. I have to give an account for that. But who do I have to give an account for? All Christians of all times? Like the third century African Christian, am I going to stand up with all the elders and give an account for that? No, I don't think so. I don't have to give an account for the, the Christians at, at Crossroads. Uh, I'll be respectful for them. They are my brother and sister, but they're not part of our covenant community. 
I have to give an account for those God entrusts that are precious to him. So in the same way, if, uh, if when my kids were little and I uh, hired a babysitter, if I came home and, and a kid is missing and the TV's on, there's food all over the place, we're going to have problems because I would have entrusted to that babysitter that which was of utmost value to me and they didn't mishandled it. So, so there's an argument just from the structure on both sides. But do you see it's still relational? Like, like there's still a, a, this for the good, he goes on, for the good of, of, of us, that God has instituted these structures. It says, let them do this with joy, that let the elders lead with joy, and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I love that. Like, like don't, don't be a kind of people that makes it uh, cumbersome and, and uh, to, 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 to shepherd. Like, don't be the kind of people that Brad and I will get together later in the week and be like, why don't they just go to Crossroads? Like, if they could just get out of here, things would go better. No, but, but when there is this, this thing working together, a beautiful thing begins to happen in the church, and God is working out his purposes and plans. Well, there is also this repeated argument in the New Testament of the interconnectedness of real Christians in each other's lives. So if you turn, or I think it's on the screen, in 1 Corinthians... Chapter 12, 13, and 14 is all about this. Chapter 12, 13, and 14. So for three chapters, Paul is, is arguing that, uh, or, or making the argument that we are, are called to be interconnected and that our interconnectedness is a very good thing. That the church is a gift of God to God's people for God's people. So, so, so you are a gift to me, I should be a gift to you, and everyone on your left and right, if they are born again, Christ followers, they are a gift for you and to you, and you are to them. Well, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul uses this argument uh, in verse 4. Now, there are variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. Drop down to verse 19. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As, a, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So in this chapter, Paul is, is going on and he's showing that a part of what the beauty and mystery of what God is doing in us is he creates each of us differently. He empowers each of us differently for one another. So, so just like in our human bodies, uh, Every organ is, is in some sense dependent on every other organ. And, and when that is not the case, he says, if the whole body was an eye, that'd be very strange, or an ear, or a nose, that'd be very, very strange. But, but it's also true if you think of when there's a, an organ in your body that's not working, your whole body suffers. When there's an organ missing, it's not natural. And so it's this picture of we are interconnected and interdependent. And that happens, we believe, in the context of the local church. Well, he goes on in chapter 13. The most famous passage maybe in the Bible, uh, even amongst non-believers, because it's quoted at every marriage, every wedding ceremony. It was quoted in mine. Uh, this, this week, we were going to celebrate our 19th uh, wedding anniversary. It was quoted in mine 19 years ago. It's probably quoted in yours. But when it's quoted in that context, it's a little bit in context because it's out of this covenant relationship that is marriage. 
But really, the context is to a church, a local body that is having a hard time loving one another, uh, functioning together, having some arguments, some leadership issues, some pride issues, some misunderstanding of the gospel. And in the midst of this, this famous verse gets quoted. It's like in a contentious uh, member meeting that this is the verse that should come out. Not necessarily at your wedding but, but think about it in the context of the local church. He says this, love is patient. Be patient with the people in this room. Love is kind. Love, love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Highlight that. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is written to a local church to love one another well. And you can use it in your wedding ceremony as well, but that's secondary. Okay? So, well, this interconnectedness. And then finally, the, the, the passage I really want to look at here this morning is what Tiffany read for us, Ephesians chapter 4. And, and again, I just want to say that, that church membership, we believe, is a gift of God's grace to the church for the church. To be a committed covenant member in the church is a gift to you for the church, and the church is a gift to you. So let's look at this in, in context of Ephesians chapter 4. It's, as you're going there, just a, a beautiful thing begins to get played out in this passage. And uh, I was watching a movie this, this last Sunday. I don't watch a lot of movies. It's actually a few nights ago. Uh, and I certainly don't watch movies uh, more than once, except for this is my favorite movie. I've watched it three or four times. Uh, now, this is not an uh, endorsement of the movie per se. It is rated R for violence, extremely violent. But it's the movie called To End All Wars. Anyone see To End All Wars with Kiefer Sutherland? Good. This is the only thing you'll remember from my sermon. <laughs> to End All Wars. Uh, this is, I think they filmed it in 2001. It's based on a true story. It's rated R for violence, but it has the, the best understanding presentation of both the gospel and what it means to be a covenant community that I've ever seen displayed in a movie. So, during World War II, as the Japanese uh, were moving in South uh, East Asia, and they took over uh, prisoner of wars just in massive numbers, 61,000 prisoner of wars were taken to Thai Burma to, to complete the Thai Burma Railway. Uh, in the movie, uh, it it's mostly follows this Scottish brigade that gets captured, and there is an American, Kiefer Sutherland's the American before he was Jack Bauer, uh, and he uh, was uh, attached to this uh, particular uh, group of Scots when they got captured. They were uh, marched through the jungle into the middle of Thailand and brought to the prisoner of war camp, and as you would expect, the, the conditions in the camp were, were awful, terrible. Death was rampant, disease was rampant, uh, the, the, the treatment of the captors was, was terrible, horrible, and, and so as they in, entered into this, there was just this sense of, uh, of uh, the, the, the guards are going to beat us, and we've got to just protect ourselves. We've got to do whatever we can to protect ourselves, not, not each other, just individuals. Uh, it's a, it was a dog-eat-dog -dog environment, people lying, people stealing, they're fighting for food. Uh, it was just a terrible environment to, to live in. And, 
And many people didn't live very long in that environment. As, as it continued, though, grace entered into the community through a guy named Dusty. Dusty had been converted to Christ, and Dusty had begun to, to just uh, cast a different vision for, for these men that were tearing each other apart and were being torn apart by the, their, their soldiers. And, and Dusty began to just cast the vision of, of living a, a higher life, of, of, of honoring God and, and of loving one another. And, and it took some time, but slowly, one by one, grace began to transform the community. And, and Dusty began to uh, lead these jungle church services. And, and, and he would teach, and, and more and more people began to wake up to their humanity. And, and the, 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 the book and the story from which this comes from, the, the main character, he had wanted to be a, a teacher before going in. So he was studying in the university, and, and so Dusty just said, you know, why don't you just teach these men? And at first he resisted. He's like, they're not even going to live for another couple weeks. Why would I teach them? He's like, because it, it, it restores their humanity. And some of the men would come to him and they're like, can, can you teach us? And so eventually he begins to teach and they start the jungle university in this camp. And, and the only place they could meet was in the infirmary because the guards wouldn't go in there. And he began to teach on philosophy and, and history and, and all these things. And, and he would teach these men and, and they began to become a covenant community. Well, Kiefer Sutherland was, was the worst he, he was the one that was kind of selling everybody out. He would uh, trade with, with the Japanese and get stuff, and he would make rice wine, alcohol, and he would, he would do all these things just to cover his back. But eventually, even the gospel gets a hold of, of him and, uh, and begins to transform him. Towards the end, as uh, the, they come in one day from uh, right after they complete the railroad, six months early because they, they've been transformed. They're, they're better workers. They're, they're better slaves even now as they work together. Um, the, the Japanese do a count of the tools, and they come out, and the guard says uh, there, there's a shovel missing, and he tells that to Sergeant Ito, and Sergeant Ito is a very brutal guard. And he says he demands, he lines them up, he demands whoever took the shovel to come forward. And uh, no one comes forward. He calls in the Japanese guards with their guns and their bayonets. And he says, uh, unless the, the person the, that stole the shovel doesn't come forward, the whole camp is going to suffer. And then you hear some shuffling of feet from the fifth row. And, and it, it's, it's the American. They called him Yanker. Yanker comes forward and, and stands there. And Sergeant Ito takes another shuttle, shovel and beats him ruthlessly, brutally paralyzes him. He's laying face down, bleeding in the dirt. When another Japanese soldier comes out and says, there's been a mistake. It was a miscount. All the shovels are there. And the narration over that, which is from the perspective of the guy, the true story, says this, what would cause a man once so selfish to sacrifice himself for others like that? Well, grace, the grace of God and understanding covenant community. So, so when we talk about membership, what we have to push out of our mind is country club. Country club, you go, you sign up, and I get these benefits, and you provide these services, and I pay this amount. That's country club membership. That's not biblical membership. It's covenant community. Membership is, yes, I'm all in. How can I give? How can I serve? How can I sacrifice myself for the good of the body? 
And that's the picture we see here of of working together, uh, that that God does a beautiful thing in the midst of this mess called church. Ephesians chapter 4. I say this is a gift from God for God's people to God's people. Verse 11. And he gave. That's language of gift. Look Look what God gave. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers... Now, just stop right there. On that list, you would say, oh, those are the ministers. Those are the professional Christians. Those are like the extra credit Christians. Those are the guys, you know, they do the ministry. But that's not what the verse says. That's not the point of the passage. Look what the verse says. He gave these people, the apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, all those things. Why? Well, to equip who? The saints. That's that's any redeemed follower of Christ for the work of ministry. So here's the the revelation that you should first get. I don't do ministry. You do ministry. Uh, That's not my job to do ministry. It's my job to encourage you, equip you to do the ministry that God has called you to do. You're the ministers. Every follower of Christ in this room, you are the ministers. For the building up of the body of Christ. This This is how we're going to grow together. Verse 13. And until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, the goal is that each of us would together become a little bit more like Christ. Every time we spend time together, every time one of you exercises your spiritual gift, that's going to be uh, uh, move the needle just a little bit for us to be a little bit more like Christ. And the goal is for all of us to become more like Christ. Well, verse 14 14 tells us what happens if we don't embrace this. What happens if we take the typical model that there's some people that do ministry and we just show up. Here's what will happen, verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. If we don't all embrace this, then we're susceptible, we're, we're little children, we won't grow, there won't be maturity, there'll be heresy, there'll be all sorts of uh, dysfunction in the body. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So, so in every way. Now, oftentimes when we talk about what's my spiritual gift, we think, What's my spiritual gift? I'll use that, and you use yours, and we'll do that. That's not what this passage is saying. Saying that together we're to mature in every way into Christ-likeness. So if there's any character attribute of Christ, all of us should be growing in those areas. Now, here's the thing. God has gifted us with some people, uh, well, gifted all of us in different ways, that, that have excessive gifts in those areas. But it's not just for them to do it. So, so some people are, are, are generous people because Jesus was generous. Well, that doesn't just mean then that person is the generous person in the church. No, it means that person helps coach the rest of us to be generous. Jesus was patient. Some of you are much more patient than me. I need to spend time with you to see what does that look like because it's not enough to just say, that's not my gift. So Jesus welcomed the little children. That's a character attribute of God. 
So, so when we say, hey, we'd like you to serve our children, and you say, that's not my gift. I'm like, great. We have some extremely gifted people that will equip you to do that. No, they're not going to do it. They'll do it occasionally, but, but uh, they're going to equip you. They're going to encourage you so that you do it because it's Christ-like. Jesus was the most hospitable person ever. He opened the doors to heaven and welcomes you into his father's house. And some people will say, it's just not my gift to be hospitable. You know what? Many of you have that gift. So you have to download that to the rest of us. You have to welcome us into your home and then show us what that looks like. And then we have to do it. There, there's no area in Christ-likeness where we say, that's just really not me. If you're gifted, you're gifted to equip us with the same thing so that we would all together reach maturity and fullness in every way into the head that is Christ. So we, we, need, we need your example. Now, now notice, this takes time. Like, you're not going to go back to Facebook today and do a little spiritual gift test and see what's my spiritual gift. That, that, that's ridiculous. Now, this takes life on life, not sermon on ears, but life on life, living together, beginning to say, you know what, I think you're really gifted in that area. And, and I could learn from you. And maybe I have something for you. See how it's slower? See how it's much more difficult? But it's much more profound. When we see people walking in their gifts, we are drawn to that. So there's a, a pastor friend of mine I talk about a lot, Mark Halleck. He, uh, his church and his network of churches have planted like 14 churches in the last three years across Denver. Mark, his personality is a 10 on extrovert. I'm not a 10 on extrovert, but, but here's what Mark does. When I spend time with Mark, no matter who he's with, he will encourage them. So we're like going to Chipotle and we're ordering our burritos and every person that is helping him with his burrito, he's got a word of encouragement for him. You know what happens to me after I've done it? I'm like, man, Jesus was the most encouraging person ever. And now I see Jesus in you and I'm looking for opportunities to be encouraging because I've spent time with him. When I'm with someone that has a particular gift of evangelism, of talking to people about Jesus, when I'm with them and I see them do it, I think I could do that. I can learn from that. See, that's what this picture is saying. So often in the church, we just think, you do your gift, you do your gift. No, we do our gifts for everybody. And so um, I was thinking of some more examples. A friend of mine goes to a church where a Colorado Rockies player goes to that church. And every Sunday when they're in town, this particular player shows up a couple hours early and he scrubs the toilets of all the bathrooms in that church. Now, he could write a bigger check and hire someone for that. But he said, no, this is Christ-like. This is how I can serve my church. And when, when the church sees that, they say, oh, we, we should serve as well. So as you walk in your gift and you walk with together, we will grow in that together. We need people that show us how to be generous, people that show us how to be kind. We need husbands that love their wives well. We need parents that love their kids well. And we need to be in your home. We need to be in your lives. We need to go with you on that so that we can all mature in Christ. That's why this is so important. I think of a good example just from my own block. Molly. Molly's a good example. Uh, Molly's a CrossFit coach. So Molly is, in and of herself, a very strong person. 
She's, she's studied CrossFit. She's, had, she's got certain qualifications and, and uh, certifications for, for doing CrossFit. Now, Molly doesn't just keep that to herself. Like, oh, she's the CrossFit person. No, when she walks in her gifts of leadership and coaching, like my wife and other, other people that come to her CrossFit gym, my wife comes back almost like several times a week. Molly is awesome. She, you know, if you have a problem with your wrist or, or your knee, she's going to address that and she's going to fix that for you. She, she's using her passion. And when she's walking, it's attractive. People want to be, be around her in that. So, so you can talk to her about that later. But, but here's, the, here's the even more beautiful thing. As Jennifer tells me, I'm just relaying what I hear from my wife. Molly's also understood now that the connection, there's not a disconnect from her passion for CrossFit and her following of Christ. That, that, that the same passion and coaching that she uses here applies to her faith. And so she's connected the two and God is at work in her midst. And we need that example. We need to see that. So we can go into our job and say, how do I connect my job or my passion with the mission of the church. So, so we, need, we need examples. How, how are we going to do that? Well, first of all, I'd say the reason you want to consider this, whether it's here or, or some other church, to commit yourself to is because it's God's plan for maturing us. It's God's plan for maturing you, and part of God's plan for maturing me is you in my life. So, so we need each other. This provides a context for what we call the ABCs of the Christian life, accountability, belonging, and care. We all need a place, we, we all need some accountability. That's what the church is for. We all need a place to belong and say, those are my people. I'm in covenant relationship with them. Even if I mess up, even if I sin against them, they're still going to love me because we're in relationship. And we're all going to, at times, need a place for care. That, that, that there's, life is going to hit and, and you're just going to need people to come alongside you, to pray with you, to care for you. God uses his church to meet the needs of his church. God uses his body to meet the needs of his body. So when your left hand itches, what, what happens? Your brain sends a signal to your right hand to itch the hand. God meets the needs of his body by his body. That's why we've got to be in covenant relationship together. So here's, here's what that's going to look like for us just in our membership process, as you consider it. Normally, uh, once or twice, three times a year, we'd have a membership afternoon class, kind of go over, here's what we are as a church, here's what we believe, here's what we believe about uh, structure, here's what we believe about salvation, all those things, here's what we believe about the church. We're not going to have that membership class for the first one, because that's pretty much this whole series, uh, but, but you would then just um, fill out a short, brief bio about yourself, Tell us a little about, about your story, how you came here. Uh, we want to know if you're a Christian. Um, we want to know about your baptism experience. Uh, and, and then after you fill that out, then myself or Brad or one of our elder candidates that we'll, we'll bring forward next week, we'll, we'll set up a time to have coffee with you or to meet with you for five or ten minutes just to talk to you and just affirm you as a covenant member. And then you take a covenant vow. And every year we would renew our covenant vows together, saying we're in this no matter what. This is our best attempt, we believe, by the Spirit's leading to honor God, to play our role well, to do what Ephesians chapter 3 says, that in the church, the manifold wisdom of God is put on display to the world. The hope for redemption, Parker, starts here with us loving one another well. To that end, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the way that it is such already a, an encouragement to me. Lord, I love this 
body, and I pray that you would help us to love one another well, to, to understand what it means to be in each other's lives, to encourage and equip and to build up the body so that we might uh, be mature in Christ. Lord, and, and I, I want to stand before you, Lord, and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, as I give an account for your flock. Lord, I pray that uh, your spirit would stir in us an affection for one another that comes from you as you help us and empower us to keep this covenant. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.